What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. Hope you had a great 4th of July. We've got a lot to get into since we didn't have a Tuesday episode. We've got NBA Sixers free agency, most likely. Phillies are dominating. Everybody's getting paid. And the Sixers are not making any any moves besides Pat Bev and Mo Bamba. So let's bring on Kevin Cape. We'll break them all down. We've also got a special guest today. We've got Tim Riley on the horn who contributes to crossing broad when he's not hanging out with his kids, doing his other job and just being a downright good dude. How's everything going, Tim? Everything's great. Sorry, I'm fixing my computer here. Taking a class of pen, kicking ass, taking names. Yeah. Got an A on my first paper I've written in like 15 years. So I had to bone up on uh, MLA formatting. That was fun. You're the smartest guy on this broadcast right now. I'll tell you who's not. Yeah, I broke down Charlotte's Web. Have you had to read that to your kids yet, Kev? Uh, No, we're still doing um, very basic, very basic stuff. We're doing uh, seeing baby see and say first words. That's a that's a popular one right now. And uh, I think my four year old asked my wife to read the same like mother goose every single night. I think she's sick of it. I think she's probably just going to hide the book and get, and get rid of it entirely. When is the Peppa Pig era? Um, I don't spend a lot of time around children. I admittedly mm-hmm. don't have uh, a lot of a lot of friends that have children, don't have a lot of friends of friends that have children, don't really go to many one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old birthday parties. But I did at one point spend some time with a family that Peppa Pig was on every single time I went over that house. And yeah. I can state that I hate that pig more than anything in my existence. <laughs> nah. Maury, more than Twitter. I hate Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig is a bitch. No, no, Peppa's good, man. Peppa's great. The the you know it's British humor, right? So the writers are very clever, and they throw little things in there that the parents get as well. But if your kid watches it enough, they start to develop like a British accent, um, or they start to pronounce words at least the way that they do. Like Cammy was saying tomato for a long time, and uh, you know. Things like that. It's one to three to answer your questions. Like one, like age one ish to like age three ish, and then she started to show uh, a disinterest in Peppa Pig, and she got off. That now she has to watch My Little Pony all, all the time, which makes me want to claw my claw my eyeballs out. Yeah, My it's, Little Pony's on a Dynasty run. Yeah, I'm not ready for that. But it's too like grown up for her. You know, I'm I'm, I'm I wanted to keep watching like the kids kids stuff. You know, it's uh, we restricted her to one My Little Pony session per day, so that's where we where we are with that. Until six, my wife are that. I disagree on your Peppa Pig take. I, I Peppa Pig is a little like James Harden to me, just like <laughs> selfish, all about them. Doesn't understand the rules of society. Doesn't understand that like you look at the trade market and you understand that hey, it's not there, so I'm going to opt into my one year opt in deal. Totally screw the Sixers over, and now we're stuck here. And in between crumble cookie visits, we've got Pat Bev on the roster and we've got Mo Bombo on the roster. And everyone's kind of sitting here on their hands waiting for Daryl Morey to make a decision on what they're doing. Um, of course, the NBA TV guys on ESPN are carrying the water for Daryl because he is a very nice guy and whatnot. And, and, the, and, and the analysts seem to really enjoy him. Uh, supposedly, according to Wendy, he has something up his sleeve. I just... 
I don't know. I think I need just just I, I think my gap year, I think I'm going back to the gap year. I think I need a year off from the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm tired of the Daryl on social media when we've got Pat Bev, Mo Bamba, nobody really else on the team right now. We've still got James Harden who are probably maybe be able to turn into a couple picks, maybe be able to turn into some players to flip for something else. I feel like the 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 magic trick up his sleeve is, is Zach Levine. I, that's the only I could really uh, point to right now. I'm just I'm just really tired of the whole circus surrounding the Sixers team. It's a circus, and the team's not even fun. You're not doing nothing. Mo Bamba's not doing anything for you. Pat Bev is not doing anything for you. You're not interested in pursuing Dame in a Dame trade. You're going like Negative Duffy. That sounds pretty negative for you. Dame's a loser. I'm taking Tyrese Maxey off the board. I know the Sixers already did it. Even if Prime LeBron James, even if MJ. The GOAT was in there. No trade for Tyrese Maxey. I'm taking Tyrese Maxey personally off mm-hmm. of the trading block because I don't think you need to put another loser in the equation with more losers because it's too much losers. You wrote the article yesterday. You can't infuse dog in people. So if that's the case, we need less losers. And I don't think Tyrese Maxey's yeah. a loser. Well, no, my Tyrese- column was an open-ended question. I would throw that question to Tim, actually. I didn't. I didn't take a side. I straddled the fence on the dog or no dog topic. That was uh, um, spurred and inspired by our discussion a week or two ago. Because it's for the run it back crowd. You know what I'm saying? It's like the inevitability of like they're saying, "Well, Harden opted in, and these they're going to trade him." And then you see some shit out there that's like, "Well, you know, they may keep him after all." I mean, well, <laughs> all right. Well, you know. So then we were asking ourselves a question of, of does Nick Nurse himself make enough of a difference in? You know, if you run it back with the same group, does that get you over the hump into the Eastern Conference Finals? Because my whole thing, my whole argument on that was that I just didn't think that the Celtics had, I didn't think that they had more talent than the Sixers. I thought talent was a wash. I thought they lost the series because they didn't have enough dog in them. I, I, I slightly disagree with that, Kev, only because I think the the depth of the Celtics roster I thought was a little bit better than what the Sixers are bringing to the court. Um, I mean, like, who was our Malcolm Brogdon? You know, who, who was our Grant Williams, even? Who, who was our, our uh, you know... Um, it was like D'Anthony Melton for one game, Jalen McDaniels for one game. It was like, who can be the guy that yeah. steps up? And they just never had that guy. Yeah, Daniel just, House for one game who scored Daniel like House, 10 yeah. Yeah. I just think they need a little more consistency from their bench options, I mean, which is maybe a lot to ask for. Because I mean, those guys are on the bench for a reason. But like, you know, we had like Lou Williams back in the day, man. That guy just was awesome. Six man, you knew what you were getting every night from him, more or less. And I just, it just felt like, it, even I mean, it, it, frankly, it, it, the the rot starts at the top because the consistency from Embiid and Harden in the playoffs was was really bad, especially in the second round. I mean, we were getting like. Old, we were getting vintage hard in game one. And then by game six, it was like, you know, he, I don't know, it was like 4 a.m. in the Vegas casino and he just ran out of steam, you know? Sometimes I don't know. Happens. Sometimes the luck just runs out. Sometimes well, look, you at, look, look, at the, look, look at what we just saw with like, I mean, like those six, seventh, like men who actually can come off the bench and give you something in the playoffs. Like they're not, they're not easy to, to find, you know? I mean, like they gave him a T, they just gave him a T, $33 million over three years. After 22 games playing for Portland after the trade, and George Niang got three years, 26 million. You know, these are both okay. guys who who, yeah, who, do, we, who they do. You think uh, Niang Matisse will fit a little better in Dallas than he did here? 
Well, they just matched it actually. Portland. Oh, yeah, oh so wow. Portland just yeah, that just happened. Million. So that yeah. just happened right before we got on the broadcast. Yeah. Um, okay, let I me mean, ask then: Do you think Portland uses Matisse better? Do you think he fits better there? Who Dame? knows? Now that Dame's leaving, I mean, who knows that? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, what's that team even going to look like? You know, in the next month or two I months mean, and whatnot. He's going to have the freedom to shoot maybe yeah. ten to fifteen times a game, and, and he'll probably shoot like thirty-eight to forty-three percent from three because he doesn't have Doc Rivers in his ear and he's not worried about like getting sat on the bench if he misses one or he misses a defensive assignment and stuff. But thirty-three million for a guy who was at one time reportedly untouchable, according to uh, Keith Pompey. Um, according to that, uh, Daryl Morey thought he was untouchable. Thirty-three million doesn't seem like that a lot. A lot of that money. As soon money. as he, as soon as his defense got a little too aggressive, and he faltered a little bit on that end, the untouchability label seemed to go out the window. At least for me. Well, it was, it was, hard. It, was it was it was a it was a move that was not very palatable when you combine the fact that like okay they just they they had a, enough of Matisse who was a. First round pick, he was still in his mid twenties, and they put him in a deal that brought back Jalen McDaniels and got them under the, 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 you know, avoided the tax, right? So you know, when you add all that stuff up, it's like these like, you know, um, cumulative kind of things. It's like some people thought you gave up on the guy before his development was complete. Other people didn't like that he was thrown into something that that helped avoid the tax, and then you look at the return that you got back for that, and you let that guy walk and go get ten million dollars, nine million dollars over two years with the Raptors, but I mean, Jalen McDaniels, two years, 9.5 or something like that. George Niang, three, 26 million. Matisse Thibel, three for 33 million. All these dudes we were like, would have been six or seven or eight, uh, you know, on, on the, on a, on a Sixers playoff team typically, you know? So like, how hard is it to find like a guy like a Jordan Clarkson or something like that? Like, I, I don't know. These they're, they're paying, these guys are getting decent money. You know, guys who Sixers fans said were, quote, like unplayable in the playoffs. Like these guys are unplayable in the playoffs. Matisse doesn't give enough offense. He can sag off of him. George and Yang can't play enough defense. I mean, they're getting like decent money from non-competitive teams. So it just shows you the gap of like, you know, what teams that aren't competing are willing to to throw out there versus like com- competitive teams that are trying to like find value in the margins here and get everything right. Like there's a big gulf between like the haves and the have nots. Well, like we don't really need McDaniels anymore because according to ESP, the next iteration of Dr. J, Ricky Council the fourth, <laughs> is gonna be eating up big minutes next year. So Two things you should never pay attention to a Sixers summer league and Flyers development camp. There was a minor kerfuffle because uh, Cutter Godier did not show up to a de- development camp in in uh, Voorhees or whatever. You know, and it's just like I, you know, we're I was so I wasn't, bored right now. We're just so bored. We're in that lull where it's like all we have is baseball season right now, and the All Star break's about to come up. That's the most boring time of the year. Uh, training camp isn't here yet. We have but it should be. But isn't that the funny thing? What, what does that say about the Phillies and like even the portion of Union fans too? It's like baseball. the Phillies, the, the Philly, it, well, yeah. But it's but they're <laughs> they're they're in a playoff spot right now. We just watched ten years of Phillies baseball where they were not like in playoff position. Also, so is this, is the baseball season too long? Do we need a break? Is this when we get our break from the Eagles and the Sixers and all that shit? And we, you know, whatever. It's just funny that we say there's like nothing to watch when the Phillies are beating the Rays, you know, two, two nights in a row. And Phillies have been awesome. They've been dominating 11 straight road wins. But like, it, I'd still rather look at who attended the Michael Rubin White party than I would like breaking down like, okay, Taiwan Walker gave up four 
in uh, in four innings or four four and six innings or four in the first four innings like is he you know is his fastball down a little bit was his control under like is was june a uh was june a joke and july is not going to be good yeah. like yeah. it's so much more fun to be like holy shit look at michael rubin and uh and Joel Embiid embracing each other in a in a picture, and look at uh, so Josh weird, Harris man. talking to James Harden, and look at the guys like uh, get it together and stuff, and it looked like they were giving running back running it back vibes and stuff, but when they were probably just hammered, just drinking together and stuff, like it was just that's way more fun than just like analyzing 162 games and i don't think we're the podcast or the broadcast for that right now you've got a hundred other places where you can go to analyze those 162 games it does get repetitive it gets repetitive yeah. but like anthony and bob do a good job of like kind of break blocking it off in like segments like you know it'll go like two or three games or four and i'll be like well over the last x you know this this happened or whatever but yeah i mean the baseball season is is a slog for sure, you know, and it bumps into vacation season, all this other shit that people have to do, you know, and like the NBA rumors are like juicy, you know, maybe the Flyers offseason moves as, as they're rebuilding and the the things that they do. They signed like two absolute nobodies like last week or whatever. But I found that interesting within the framework of like this is part of the rebuild. You know what I'm saying? Like Ryan Paling and Victor Mate, like who gives a fuck, right? But it's interesting to see. It's like, okay, this is what is the rebuild going to look like? Who are these types of guys that Danny Briere is going to go after, you know? And it's funny because I don't think I, – I, it's funny to look at um, – I think if you look at the four for four thing and you look at like what teams uh, – what fans of what Philly teams follow the other teams, like it's probably the biggest split is between the Flyers and the Sixers. Number one, because they're on at the same time. I think the Flyers have the fewest amount of fans that also watch the Sixers. I think the Sixers have the fewest amount of fans that also watch the Flyers. So the reason I bring that up is because I'm reading responses to a lot of these Flyers moves, and it seems like Flyers fans aren't fully like comprehending what the what a rebuild looks like. You know, obviously they didn't watch like the process Sixers, you know, all these like one year deals and bullshit that they did. So they bring like, you know, Mark Stahl. Yeah, and I see people say, "Why are you paying?" You know, a thirty-six-year-old dude. I'm like, he's here for one year, if that. Thirty-six-year-old <laughs> veteran who can, you know, maybe impart some wisdom on the young guys. Then you flip him at the deadline for like a sixth rounder or, or something, you know. Or why are you signing mm-hmm. these guys who are like on the scrap heap from the Canadians or the Maple Leafs or whatever? Well, you need two-way bodies to give you depth and and play for the Phantoms, perhaps, or maybe they're also a reclamation project where you say, "Hey, there's no." It's like Matisse going to Portland. It's like, you don't, we're not playing for shit down here. So like, you know, you give you a blank slate and see if you can kind of like carve something out. You know, there's one guy that the Flyers signed was a first round draft pick not that long ago. So you say like, well, you know, maybe you find it at age 25, come here. We got nothing to play for, you know, do these, do these like low risk one year roster filling slash reclamation project, whatever things that's intriguing to me because it says to me that Danny Briere, like, gets it you know where we yeah. long past chuck fletcher given like you know <laughs> every time no, it's also ed snyder was very critical of the process too the flyers fans never had to do that under ed snyder and hockey's a little different too yeah. because i feel like there's so much more parody i mean you see you know an ac just went to the the cup finals this year we got you know the kings back in the day the ac that you know won it all and stuff the the, the uh golden knights are what they're four or five years old they're already winning yeah. Stanley Cups and everything. Like it's like, yeah. and they've been pretty good for their whole entire existence. But like, yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's a lot different from 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 basketball. And like I said, Ed Snyder's never was never really uh, understood a process. But I would say this is probably the most interested I've been in the Flyers since they were the number one team going into the pandemic and 
then I'm intrigued, man. Challenges. I like a good, I like a good like rebuild because it's. I mean, and think of, think of it this way too. When the Flyers got rid of like Claude Giroux, like everybody was ripping Chuck Fletcher because they didn't think he got enough back. Like who the fuck is Owen Tippett, right? Owen Tippett had a good year last year. He's 24 years old. I mean, now you got like a guy who's like maybe fits the the timeline. Yeah, I, I remember why pe- why the Sixers process people were all interested in that kind of stuff because they're like, oh, maybe this guy can be part of it, you know. So they got excited about like Robert Covington and and whatnot because you you like to think about the possibility of who could be like part of this going forward. At least then you have like a clear picture of what this is supposed to look like. So Flyers fans, that's why I'm intrigued because I've been out on the Flyers for two or three years now. But I'm like, I see what Danny Bear is doing. I know that he gets it and he's turning the corner. And it's like, let's see if they can pull out this diamond in the rough or find some reclamation project or put some put some dude in here and it might just click for him. You know, that's infinitely more interesting to me than whatever the hell they were doing last year. Do you think we'll be talking about Mark Stahl like they've been talking about Isaiah Cannon years from now? <laughs> Is he going to play Sergio Rodriguez in the in the EuroLeague final? Yeah. Are we going to be following these these guys everywhere they go from now until, man, I remember him when he was a process flyer. Well, and that that got overshadowed too. That whole thing got overshadowed because he was one of the uh, the Pride Night guy. He did he didn't wear the Pride Night jersey in uh, Florida, I guess. So you know, half of the responses to the Flyers tweet was like, "Oh, they've they've traded one homophobe for another homophobe." <laughs> and I'm like. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, you can feel however you want to feel about that, but it's kind of a moot point anyway because he's not going to be here past the. It's a one-year deal, and they're going to flip. They're going to flip him anyway, you know, because um, they they need depth on the on the blue line anyway. I mean, they're still probably going to trade Tony D'Angelo, we think, and Sanheim appears to be on the chopping blocks. So, I don't know, but it's intriguing. It's like that first part of the Sixers process. You remember back then how we were like even if you didn't necessarily like agree with what they were doing or, or like it or whatever, it was intriguing. You understood the vision. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Oh, this is interesting. You know, it created talk. we talked more about the Sixers and the Flyers during that era when the Flyers were pretty good and the Sixers sucked, you know? Yeah. So rebuilds are interesting, man. It gives you stuff to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Ahead, I, think the, um, I think the underdeveloped, the under discussed part of the Flyers and the NHL for that matter is, their salary cap situation post COVID. I mean, a lot of these contracts, um, the Hayes contract in particular, was a pre-COVID contract. The Van Riemsdyk one as well. And those, you know, if you, you know, I'm sure the Flyers have actuaries in their cap, you know, in their front office who are projecting out. Okay, the cap's going to look like this by the time that contract's at year four. It's going to be X percentage of the total cap you know, more palatable, be able to move it or manage it better. COVID hits, all of that stuff goes to pot. All of a sudden, Van Riemsdyk is totally unmovable. The Hayes contract looks awful. And a lot of these guys, like Hayes was signed to play for um, the guy. Gee, I'm so bad with names. I'm getting old. Um, Dave Haxtell. Turn into your dad right in front of us. Yeah, he was Dave Haxtell. He was going to fit the perfect Dave Haxtell uh, player. Axtell doesn't even last a season there. And, you know, now he's playing for Vino, and maybe he's not as good of a fit. Now it's Tortorella. I mean, the, or Scott Gordon and then Tortorella. Um, you know, it just, it, it's been a, a carousel and there's been a lot of instability. Um, the team has tried to rebuild on the cheap. And I think that's why, you know, firing the coach is the easiest thing to do, especially when you're cap strapped. You know, there's no salary cap on coaching staff. 
um, so they can pay Alan Vigneault. And I think it's still paying him. Um, but shout out to Alan Vigneault, by the way, retired today. Pour a martini out for him wherever you're at this weekend. The uh, but the team, it's just the team just has been stuck in quicksand since that that uh, that since COVID. Since that COVID playoff, run. is it it's weird like- to say though, to Tim? Like, uh, uh, like my feeling. I don't know if this is the right or wrong feeling to have, but like my biggest concern with the Flyers right now is that I don't know if Torts is the right guy for this kind of job. You know, like what what is he? <laughs> is he the kind of coach that's going to be like a Brett Brown? and no. kind of like help you know like just develop these guys for but he is he's he going to be here when the flyers turn the corner i mean you're looking at what tw- he would be on his fourth year or, or fifth year or something is he gonna like piss these guys off i don't i don't i just don't some something in my head just doesn't like i don't i don't match john tortorell with like a completely rebuilding team you know no i um, could see i could see it a, a, a going out in a blaze of glory not like a Sam Hinky, um, what was manifesto? I could see him just quitting on a random Thursday in like April, yeah, like a couple years from now. Mike Missanelli like, just saying, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up on out of here now. You know? We just, you know, we came to an agreement that like the the way the franchise is going and the way I'm kind of coaching doesn't really mesh. I'm gonna go out to my farm in New York and I'm just gonna ride off into the sunset. Because you have a, it's it would basically be like, I don't know who's like a crazy coach in the NBA. Who uh, you have Tibbs? You can have Tom. Yeah, like, 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 yeah, like, yes. It'd be having Tibbs coach the process Sixers, and he just runs everybody into the ground. Yeah. We win thirty games just off the backs of just like well, Tibbs just being a crazy man. Yeah, I think the problem is they have, and and thank you, Philly fan. I got I got Van Riemsdyk and. And Hayes kind of mixed up in my my internal timeline. That's part of being a dad. I get my brain doesn't always work as as I hope it does. But I think the thing that concerns me about Torts is like he's got a voice in the front office process. It's just the way they they've said it. You know, it's going to be like this if this you know starts kind of spiraling in year two, or they you know the progress is 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 not you know where they expect. He's going to be the first head on the pike, right? So, do you really yeah. want him deciding, like, you know, long term who should be here and who shouldn't when he's very likely, if this falters in any way, he's the first to go? It's interesting know. to see how much he still is involved because I feel like we've been seeing a lot of Danny and a lot of uh, Keith Jones. And I feel like when Fletcher was here, Torts was the guy who was really in front of the media talking all the time. Now that might change obviously during the season and everything, but I, I just feel like this is like Danny and Keith Jones team and it's not really Torch's team. I don't even remember seeing him at the draft. I don't remember seeing him like anywhere. Like Danny was obviously announcing the picks. Keith Jones was announcing some picks and whatnot. I think, I, I think there is a, there is a shift of power. I wouldn't be surprised if it was, um, didn't they hire like some firm to find Keith Jones and Keith Jones or uh, and and the firm that had uh, that was hired had like um, sports with like the guy's former agent or, or no no Billy King, Billy King was was involved in the search and they uh, all but and, they all had a direct connection to the consulting guy and whoever read whoever um, well, led the consulting thing and Torch was one of those guys so I would be I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 
Chuck Fletcher just went rogue or something like that. And just well, yeah, so if, I, if I left Crossing Broad no. and then I started a consulting agency and somebody said to me, do you know anybody who can do like funny videos? And I'm like, yeah, let me do an exhaustive search. And then I landed on Kyle <laughs> Pagan. You know, it's always fucking people know each other. It's it's yeah. all like, you know, uh, incestual or whatever. But yeah, it was funny because like Billy King was one of the people who was involved with this like flyer search or whatever. And he did you know, fart jokes with Jonesy on, on WIP, you know? So it's just, yeah. it's like, they all, they all know, know each other or whatever. Um, did you, let me ask you a serious question. Do, do you think that Michael Rubin hanging out with like all these dudes is weird? I don't, I know you do. Okay. Well, I'm listening. He's a billionaire. Billionaire hanged out with people. They date people who are younger than him. He's got so much connections. People want to flock to him because the next time he has a, new billion dollar idea or maybe sports betting takes off or something like that. He's going to need all these people because he's going to have to sell his fanatic sports book being like, Hey, look, this is the cool sports book to bet on. Look, I got James Harden. I got little baby. I got LeBron James. I got Joel and B. They all want to be a part of this. Kim K, you know, run some ads for me and everything. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I, I don't hate billionaires. I know people were, I know we're like supposed to hate billionaires as a society or something like that. Just, that's weird to me, especially a guy who's like kind of self-made, who's been working since he was eight years old. Well, now, that's, the, have, that's the, diff, that's, does he have a screw right loose? There. Yes. Yeah. He's got a screw loose. But then, you know what people will say, you know what the socialists will say is that no billionaire is self-made. They'll say like, well, you know, they have, you know, people making minimum wage, making their fanatics T-shirts or, or something. You know, it's like there's an now, answer. Could we get a better delivery time on our fanatics merch instead of you know maybe throwing billion dollar parties? Yes. Okay. Yes. Who is the most like money level? on the parties Everybody and not enough that, on our supply chain? Yeah. Yes. Everybody at that party should have been packing a shirt. It would have solved their problems. <laughs> Right, that should be like, you know, like a party favor or something. You pack a shirt, pack an order, and you have your entry into the party. Who do you think is like the least famous person at this thing? Somebody's publicist who just sits in the corner oh, and makes sure like they that. don't do anything stupid. Maybe <laughs> maybe Tobias Harris. Maybe well, Mo you Bamba. Know, See, like, is <laughs> if you're wearing white, you need to have a backup outfit. But like, what is that? Something. This dude's like 50 years old and white. Why is he wearing a chain? And I, I don't know. He's weird. I don't mean judgmental, but it's just strange to me. Like I, he's like, what? What is he like? Fifty something years old? Like, I mean, JT, he's like almost pushing sixty, and he didn't look like the coolest guy at the party either. I mean, that, with like rappers that are like half, half of his age. Like I, I think. Look, here's the thing. Like I know that him, him and Bob Kraft, they know a lot of these guys through their like social justice initiatives, and obviously, like he's you know has the NBA connection at the same time, right? Of course, so. But it's just, I don't know, it's just strange to me to see like this old, old these two old white dudes um, with a bunch rich of like, rap, rappers with, that are, I don't know. Rich people hang out with rich people. I, I don't know. I mean, I just. I, I love how they just glance by these people like real quick. And it's like an ultra celebrity too. like Emily Ratajkowski gets like half a second on the. Yeah, Jay-Z got like two frames. Mbappe, who's like the most popular player in the world. He's got like barely in it and stuff. Yeah. Like, well, I swear to God, too. I thought that was. uh that was Jennifer Garner. His, her daughter looks exactly like her. It's the most r ridiculous thing. And then I forgot that. Uh, it's how much I keep up on pop culture that uh, Ben Affleck is married to J Lo now. So yeah. All right. I've seen. What's old is new, right? I mean, that was that was two thousand what three? That was the thing, and now it's the thing again in twenty. Yeah, P Diddy had the white party back in the day. White parties have always been a real big thing. 
Uh, oh, I'm talking about Jay. I'm talking about J Lo and Ben Affleck. Well, J Lo also dated P Diddy, so we'll all just wrap it up into one. They just <laughs> yeah, love white is, parties. This is an incestuous little. Uh, oh my God! It's sports radio in Philadelphia. I mean, well, now we know together. Now we know why Mo Bamba was at the white party because yeah. there was already a deal in place. You know, I, that that has to be him. And there's this this DJ who stinks. But he opened for Post Malone when I went to the Post Malone concert called Zach Bia, who mm. basically just plays like top forty hits. He was there too. I think he's, I think he's uh, uh, the son of a rich uh, guy from uh, a record company or something like that. But that 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 those two dudes have to be the the least famous people to get invited there. Who are you? I already wrote this blog yesterday. I'm I'm walking right up to to Ben Affleck. I think Ben Affleck is the only one who would give me the time of day because I think he's just a normal dude. I really <laughs> do. Ben he looked miserable. Well, he, but he's more famous than most of those people there. Like, yeah, who do you but, think? Here's a serious question. I asked you who the least famous person was there. Who do you think was the most famous person there? Uh, probably toss up between Kardashian, Jay Z, and Beyonce. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think Brady, Brady, um, Mbappe, and, and international it's star. It's so hard to 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 rate these because the international sensations are insane. Like Bad Bunny, the most streamed artist of all time. Yeah. Kevin, if I put Bad Bunny in front of you, you probably couldn't point out who he is. No, like, he's the. Uh, doesn't he do the? Uh, he's like a like a. Like South American, yeah. I watched American. Puerto Rico, man. I, I watched uh, WWE Backlash. Okay, get, get a look at Bad Bunny. He wrestles now, or did? But who, who well, like the guy who did like Despacito? Did anybody know, know who the hell he was or she was? That Dude. was Bad Bunny. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. Well, there you go. See um, Tim, would they have to pay you to come to this party? Yeah, I have no interest in that. Billy Fan, I think, makes a great point. That cake did look. That cake looked like, oh shit, we forgot to order a cake. They went to a bakery like in town at the last minute. Like, dude, can you just make us a cake? Beyonce's going to eat it. It looked like shit. I I'm pretty sure it was for Usher's birthday. And it said, yeah. go yeah, shorty, it. it's your birthday. So, yeah, not even a song that he's. Long there's there's just, no doubt that Michael Rubin or whoever got that cake for Usher thought Usher was 50 cent and just put go shorty. It's your birthday on the cake. Yeah. And was just like, I have to say, can, can I say real quick? Too, I don't want people to get the wrong like idea. Like Michael Rubin, when all the COVID shit happened, like he, he was one of the guys who stepped up like probably more than anybody who was involved in any kind of Philadelphia ownership. You know I mean? He turned his whole, factory the fanatics factory is basically converted to making uh peep uh personal protective what did, what did we call it back then yeah the pandemic was so long ago yeah yeah i mean he was making all that stuff he was making masks and all that stuff you know i just i don't know i think it's strange of the but i don't know what the lifestyles of the the rich and the famous are like outside of these videos you know so. Yeah, I don't. I don't hate Michael Rubin. I just don't. That's just not my scene. I can't go pretend to kiss James like James Corden's ass. Oh, James, you're so great. You're so. I don't funny. think you have to though. I don't mm. think you have to go there and kiss these people's asses. I also. I, I don't. There's, I don't know anything white. I have white. I have like you know white undershirts. Wear like a wife beater. I don't, or something. I don't have. I don't have white outfits. <laughs> you know, you're probably okay, Tim. I'm sure we could get you a, a white 
uh, outfit on the cheap. But what I'm saying is there's definitely like the famous part of it. That's all getting the videographers and the pictures and everything. And then there's like the CFO of fanatics uh, or there's I could be invited in a second. Um, then there's like, you know, the VP of finance from fanatics. Like there's probably such a normie table like like David yeah. Edelman might be one of the most normalest people there in terms of like guys who are like super, super rich. Yeah. And then you'd see like, oh, what's that guy do? Why is he hanging out with James Harden? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, that's actually a Sixers co-owner of the new Michael Rubin and stuff. So I do feel like there's like a normie section. Uh, that people were just like, we just don't get Embiid, that piece of it. Do you think Embiid likes going to that party? Yes. Yes. Because he's not much of it. Like, he's not much of a socialite, is he? No, but there's a lot of athletes there. And I think he oh. enjoys other basketball players. Being Talking to other athletes. I think he yeah. enjoys, well, doesn't, according to a lot of rumors, he doesn't even enjoy, like, being, you know, hanging out with his own team. So maybe he doesn't enjoy it. Maybe he just puts on a mm. smile for Michael Rubin. And he's like, hey. Do you promise to just like uh, invest in, you know, a company down the line or Under Armour? I don't know. But for real, like getting Mo Bamba on the minimum is an interesting move. Uh, Can I say one more thing before we go over? Do you think they sign NDAs? There's got to be, right? There's got to be NDAs just flowing around there. Because the only thing that ever got out was that Meek Mill versus Travis Scott video where they almost fought each other. After the party, it was like two, three in the morning and stuff. True. There's got to be so many NDAs. I know the kid who personally takes photos for Michael Rubin, Alex Sewers. I grew up with him. He's a good dude. He started with the Sixers, Sixers, dude, isn't he? Yeah, he went with Sixers. Now he's with Fanatics. And I just, I I, I can't imagine things that he has on his camera that probably can never see the light of day because they probably have, they probably go through everything with a fine tooth cone. You're telling me, you're telling me like someone wasn't doing coke. Coke yeah. off of somebody or someone Everybody at that party. Just had a good time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. yeah, yeah. Like, that's funny. There has to be a wild amount of NDAs. Yeah, I'm sure in that world though, it's a normal thing. You probably go anywhere when you're that rich and sign an NDA. You know, it's probably like a requisite for just walking in the door somewhere. Yeah, fascinating though. I don't know. I don't get it, but good for them. They looked like they were having fun. Everybody had fun at the white party with Michael Rubin. Um, what I was going to say about Mo Bamba is. Uh, like in the pantheon of backup centers who the Sixers have had over the past five years or whatever in the Joel Embiid era, uh, Paul Reed, assuming they can keep Paul Reed and Mo Bamba is probably the best. How far are we going back? Uh, Since Embiid like really started playing like 2016, 2017. 18. Or 17, yeah, 17, 18. That first year, Amir Johnson, the Amir Johnson years. Um, Listen to this. Li- listen to this list of. Um, Are you ranking the, them? The Mo Bombas. Well, there's so many of them. I don't know if I can. But let me just read the list to, okay. the, to the listeners first. Uh, back, uh, Joel Embiid backups over the last six or seven years: Amir Johnson, Rashawn Holmes, Jaleel Okafor, Justin Patton, Boban Marjanovic, Greg Monroe, Kyle O'Quinn, Norval Pell. Al Horford, kind of, because he got moved to the bench for a little bit. Tony Bradley, Dwight Howard, Vincent Poirier, not Dustin Poirier, but Vincent Poirier, DeAndre Jordan, Charles Bassey, Willie Cauley-Stein, Andre Drummond, Montrez Harrell, Dwayne Dedman, and Paul Reed. The best was probably that year of Dwight, was it not? I think Paul Reed could make a case. (laughs) Well, they were the number one seed the Dwight year, right? It's all like such a friggin' blur. Dwight. Uh, 
Love Dwight. Uh, Drummond, Drummond, Drummond. Drummond. Only got a half season out of Drummond. Drummond, but, Drummond mean, probably you could have probably argued Drummond would have been number one because I remember when Drummond came in after Howard and it was just like, oh my God, a guy that could put the ball in the hoop from two feet away. This is amazing. <laughs> We're going to the finals. Like I love Dwight Howard. I love what he brought to the Frosty era. I love that he's just like a funny, like uh goofball and stuff. But like Dude, when he would get a rebound and he would just throw it at the rim and it would he would just go for like two for twelve with like seven points. It was just it was terrible. It was so uh, you just wanted to pull your hair out every time. Um, Not as weird as I wanted to pull my hair out when we had the Amir Johnson Bobon and Greg Monroe team. That team Amir was- Amir was <laughs> Amir was good for like Going up and grabbing a rebound, and then some ugly ass looking like half hook shot from from one foot away that that may have gone in. Uh, yeah, I mean it's funny because they didn't. You know, some of these guys like Justin Patton didn't even really play. You know, and like Boban was here for a, for a hot minute. I mean, but the guys who spelled him in the playoffs were Amir Johnson the first year, then Greg Monroe the Toronto year. And then in the bubble, the bubble was just shit. So you can throw that in the. In the so track. does Mo Bamba elevate himself to a top five center even before he touched a basketball in Sixers history? Backup well, he's, he's but he's an interesting player because like he, he's so long and he just feels like a Nick Nurse type of guy. He shoots like thirty five percent from three, which is like not yeah. bad at all. Like still, well, and like you're kind of running a similar offense. I mean, th- I, this has to be a Paul Reed move. Like Paul Reed does have to come back. But uh, like during the during the year, like if if Mo Bamba starts starts playing well, like you, you kind of run the same exact offense with Embiid off the court. Obviously, you know not as offensively gif- uh, gifted, but like, and it seems like every coach hates Mo Bamba <laughs> when he comes to the team. So like, yeah, also well, he had he had you know I saw somebody say this. I don't know who it was. I think it was Brian from Painted Lines. I think made the made the connection that like uh, you know he's. Uh, Nick Nurse had Chris Boucher up there in Toronto, who was like super lean and and lanky and would like get in there and like def- deflect passes and stuff. I, I don't know. They they had like they, it seemed like that Toronto team just like had athletic and long guys that grew on trees. You know, almost like how Miami finds these two way perimeter players yeah. all the time. That's, but, I mean, that's not yeah. Obama. Chris Boucher was like an energy guy. I feel like more than anything, Obama yeah. likes to hang out around the three point line. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can do some interesting things with that. You know, I mean, I mean, it's not inconceivable to think that you could try some Paul Reed at the four if you have to and maybe do some double big stuff. I mean, you remember like when the when the Sixers uh, Raptors series changed like four or five years ago. I mean, the main tweak that Nick Nurse made was that he put um, Marcus All and, and Serge Ibaka on the four at the same time. You know, so it's stuff that he's done before, things he's experimented with. I'm interested to see what they can do with, with Paul Reed and, and Mo Bamba behind Joe Embiid. I also hope that they load manage the shit out of Embiid so that we got a lot of minutes. I mean, look, I think I think Mo Bamba should be your starting center in the play uh, in the uh not the playing tournament, Jesus, the midseason uh tournament, you know? Maybe you just roll the backups for, <laughs> for Tim. What do you think about the midseason tournament? Did anyone ask for it? Yeah, it just seems like a solution in search of a problem i mean the problem is the regular season's too long but how do you make the regular season more interesting do we, we just hate sports players, we just complain about the players the bet long. on some games in the middle of the year Ooh. how about that as an idea Ooh. oh not like, again they can't like they have to bet on their own team or on games that you know maybe you have like 20 games or so maybe you call it i don't know like march madness but everybody bet march on all the march games 
And Joel Embiid has to bet on his points over. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, All like the props should be open too. Definitely. Americans have such a problem, like understanding the concept of having more than one competition during the course of a season. Like you're so conditioned to think that it's the regular season and the playoffs. I'm not saying that this mid-season tournament means anything because it seems like bullshit, but like in England, like the FA Cup is huge. Really? So you go into every season, every calendar year, we'll call it a calendar year, if you're Manchester United, and it's not just like the regular season, the playoffs, and one trophy. Like you have a chance to win multiple trophies that mean something. Yeah, but we you fought know? a revolution, so we didn't have to deal with this bullshit. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah you know what happens when you have multiple trophies <laughs> and you got participation trophies? You lose – 300 million people and you go build your own country. But if this became, if it, I'm trying to think of like, you know, if the Orlando magic make a run in the in season tournament, like, does anybody give a shit? I don't know. Like Carmelo don't. Anthony's gold medals going for his hall of fame case. It's like, well, you know, the Orlando magic missed the playoffs. They had a 10 seed, but remember when they won that mid season tournament, that was awesome. Like, yeah, I, I, can hear the, I can hear the Bill Simmons bit just being like, you know what? You know, you know who's really impressing me? You know who's really impressing me? Remember? Orlando Magic. They won that tournament, midseason tournament. They were fighting good, you know? And then Cole Anthony got hurt. And you know what? I think that's a team you got to watch for. And then and then the Orlando Magic the, next year. Here's the devil's advocate side of it for the sake of the argument. What we always say, don't we say every year that the NBA regular season sucks? It does. And that it doesn't matter. So... I mean, if you're going to tweak anything or insert anything, now we're going to make more games. Well, that's not. I mean, right? I don't. I wouldn't solve it by doing that. I would just cut this. I would cut the season down. The immediate thing I would do with the NBA is get rid of all the back-to-backs and just cut it down. But they're not going to do that because they're going to lose money, of course. So, um, but the the in-season tournament, I don't know if it could ever get to the level of like, you know, like a cup competition and in like international soccer, you know, but I can say that those mean something. And like, I'd be more intrigued watching an NBA where I know that you can win more than one trophy a year. You know, you have something else to play for. Kev, if they hung the banner in the Wells Fargo center, the Sixers, 2023, 24 mid season tournament champions, Mm-hmm. People would want to burn that banner to the ground. Yeah, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that like there are meaningful in other sports, in other competitions around the world, there are meaningful non-regular season or playoff things that matter. You know, there's there are things that are concurrent. You know, that we don't do that in American sports, so it's just literally a foreign concept. And I'm not saying that that's what the in-season tournament is right now. But if you had some sort of side competition, let's let's say let's let's do it this way. Let's say in Major League Baseball. At the beginning of the year, you took every single AAA team and you threw them into a pool with every single major league team. And the Iron Pigs played like the Tampa Bay Rays. And it was a big 64-team tournament. It was a side competition that was going on at the same time as the regular season. I mean, that's that's there's that's different than – that's more like the European model and less like what we do over here. But yeah, Bryce, Harper, was, Bryce Harper is a 98-mile-an-hour fastball off his thumb. He's out for six weeks because he was playing the Toledo fucking Mud Hens. Yeah, I just want you to stop thinking like a meathead American and just for I'm not like, consider just consider what people. This is why we we went in there 
and we said, hey, listen, no taxation without representation. Screw all your trebles in your cups. Yeah. We're, bringing, we're building our own. Country. You have a little bit of a four for four meathead like gene <laughs> in you that comes okay. out every so often. I'm not saying that the in-season tournament's a good idea, but I'm looking at like I mean, trying to answer the question of if it would ever get to be a good idea, what would it have to look like? You know, that's they've made it successful overseas by doing x is the nba willing to do x now the other thing about soccer and overseas is you have leagues in different countries they there's little like different things you can do the champions league is is a cool concept right you got like you know real madrid playing man united like things like that um it's also we play sports that not the whole world plays like we beat up on Great Britain in the World Baseball Classic. We'll beat up on the Netherlands in, in Yeah, but we lost uh, the World Baseball Classic, right? Where was that not okay. an intriguing? Was that an intrigue where you guys everybody plays soccer? Like we like could you imagine taking like the World Football Classic, going down to Guadalajara and just beating the piss out of a couple of uh, Mexican dudes who just picked up a football 10 weeks ago? Like well, I don't want pe- I just don't want people to dismiss the idea just cuz it's it's new. Right. I mean, like, I don't think what the NBA is doing makes a lot of sense, but I'm willing to listen to to what it could become. You know what I mean? I just think Americans are so conditioned to think that, like, you know, you have a regular season and you have a playoffs and that's it for every single sport here. And I don't know if somebody wants to try something different or suggest something different. I'm open to hearing about it. I don't know the right way to install it over here, but uh I don't know. It's in, it's intriguing. Like we play a champions MLS plays a champions league and a North American version. You have the world baseball class. I mean, you saw how, how much that meant to like, you know, the, the, um, the Caribbean, uh, the Caribbean countries, you know what I mean? So, um, and how much it meant to Japan. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. No, it was, it was really cool. It was, it was really well done. It was, it was um, competitive. I think it's all about competition. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. That's what it would be. Like we couldn't do it in football. We could barely do it in basketball. No, you can't. I mean, football is such a – yeah, I mean, like, you know, you got wear and tear. I mean, those games, like, take a lot out of you anyway. I mean – and plus, you know, you're never going to – the problem with all this is you're never going to fuck with the owners. Every single suggestion that results in fewer games means less money, so they're never going to sign off on anything like that. You know, we, we went to 17 games in the in the NFL, you know. Um, you asked these teams to cut it back from 162 to, to what? I mean, how much revenue is lost by just eliminating one single home game at Citizens Bank Park? You know? Well, according to John Melton, he lost almost a billion dollars because they only played 60 games yeah. in one year. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Man. That's that's why I hate it because these there's a lot of practical solutions to fix like a lot of things in sports by reducing the amount of, of what we have, but they're never going to sign off on it because they're going to lose money. But I mean, games would mean more if there was less of them. That's part of what makes the NFL great because you know that that – that loss that you have in week two is probably going to affect your, you know, your chances for the playoffs. You know, no, those more games also mean more money in the players' pockets too. I mean, Dame's yeah. going to be making sixty-three million dollars, twenty-six, twenty-seven. That's yeah. premised on them playing an eighty-two game regular season plus playoffs. So, well, that was the best. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that they always come back to. Them, then it's like, well, we're going to play seventeen games in the NFL. Well, we don't want to play seventeen games. Where are you going to get more money? It- so, is it really going to matter either when like Saudi Arabia starts investing and in buying teams up and stuff when they have more money than God? <laughs> Maybe they will start going down to a, a smaller. Like, are they really going to care in Saudi Arabia when they have the six hundred billion dollar public investment fund? And like, well, we want to go to seventy two games. Okay, no, you know, I'll just go invest in the next Uber or, or more oil or something crazy. Well, like, Andrew uh, Grant talk, talking about. I thought there was a. I thought I saw a Twitter thread from him where I, I, there's some kind of rules on allowing foreign. Uh, Oh God, Tim, you might know. Or foreign, foreign investment, but from like not from foreign sovereign, 
from sovereign wealth funds. Sovereign wealth funds, right? So not. Yeah, like, I think one of the commanders. I think one of the commander bids kind of. There were some questions about. Uh, so, no, so. No. Oh, maybe from that, but I know the uh, Saudi Arabia or Saudi Arabian company or or a sovereign wealth fund just invested in the uh, Washington um, Wizards. Yeah, uh, that's what it was. Yeah, the the just, group. yeah it's like uh, it's one thing for a independent businessman from, uh, you know, pick a country from Kuwait to, you know, be an investor in something over here. But like it, the uh, sovereign wealth fund of Qatar, can the country of Qatar buy a fucking team in the Premier League? You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of stuff that they're worried about. I mean, not to take it on that tangent. Uh, any further but like half of the premier league teams are owned by like americans and the other half are owned by like oil shakes you know <laughs> so it's not even yeah. like like you imagine that over here like if half, all the nfl teams were owned by like the arab emirates you know can like, we say that oh, yeah. sports might be going to hell hell in a handbasket especially if we start getting all this money involved and stuff like if you play it obviously you're gonna f- you're gonna love it i mean more people investing in it is is, is good but like I don't know. That's one thing that like w- w- is Man City good for for Premier League? Haven't they won like six of the last seven titles? Something like that, yeah. So it's like, is that good for the Premier League? Because there's not much. I mean, it was always the top four. It was always like, it was always like Chelsea, Man City, Tottenham, and like Man United or Arsenal or somebody else over like the last like four or five years. I mean, there was that one Leicester year that was really cool. Don't Which get me was wrong, a huge but- outlier. But it should make you know it should make American fans at least appreciate what we have in salary caps. Yeah, over here because I know it doesn't really in baseball. You know, you have different teams that are you know that that end up being good. I mean, look at what the Rays do with their their payroll for for example. You know, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you have so much more parity generally in leagues over. Here, I mean, look at the NBA. I mean, like in the last couple of years, the Nuggets have won at the Bucks, have won at the Suns, have been to a finals. I mean, we think of like the traditional powers being the Celtics and the Lakers and whatever, you know, your big, huge coastal teams with the Knicks haven't been there in forever. So, you know, I just I just think that's it's, it makes I have the perfect way to, to meld both of those and, and, and make it the best like but there, nobody would ever sign off on any of that because you're not you can't salary cap a individual league in europe because if you put a salary cap on like the premier league for instance they'll just go to spain and make more money doing that you know we can do it over here because we have the best football league the best baseball league the best basketball league and the best hockey league in the world you know so you can put a salary cap on it and these guys are still making more money than they would here than they would anywhere else Hmm. so that's why that's why it works you know you have anything on that tim um, what on salary caps in general, or just saw what we just talked oh. about? And I saw you just crushing. Uh, we're, slow just summer, man. We're, we're just. I think, it. I think you're going to see a lot more interest from the Saudis, from the oil countries, in invest in diversifying. You know their investments because oil's not a, a you know a good long term investment. I'm sure they're thinking, you know, 100, 200 years down the road, how's it? How's it? country like saudi arabia gonna survive maybe in a post-oil world they gotta be you know investing in the next thing i think battery powered lawnmowers i mean i think i honestly think nuclear fusion is going to be uh that technology is going to be possible (laughs) probably in like 100 years hey 
All right. I, I did not I did not have nuclear fusion on my bingo card during crossing uh, broadcast. I don't really, think anyone um, I think it's something if, if people are interested in energy, that's something to be uh I've had my eye on that for like twenty years, kind of charting it and seeing if it's possible. It, it will change the way the world's powered. I think the Phillies patch first patch sponsor should be the the company that wants to put the windmills down in Ocean City and and kill all the whales outside of Kyle Scott's uh, residence. You know, I've never yeah I've I've the the amount of concern we have for some little uh, coastal town uh, <clears throat> in the. No, oh, the rich the rich people's view of the water. They all just complain about golf courses, pizza shops, new coffee shops, a Soulberry. Like they all complain about all that shit. So what does it matter? Yeah. Who cares? Nobody ever wants to shut up down there. Wild packs of teenagers too. Yeah, teenagers. Yeah, like shut up. Terrible. My God, yeah, I can't live in Ocean Ocean City. Is unlivable. Oh it's, God, that's, it's that's, that's never, And you know that's never happened in history. Teenagers <laughs> bored doing something to, yeah. you know. Yeah, Wildwood's been doing it, dealing with it for ages, and they're they look great. All right, they're doing great down there. I was down there a couple days ago. Uh, uh, I got one more before we got to go. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to a wedding this weekend. You guys have any wedding hacks? Maybe like happy hour hacks. Maybe you know how to stay cool when it's an outdoor wedding. Maybe you know do you take the bartender first and then the bartender second, and they just remember you for the rest of the night. Which you give people some of the wedding hacks. It's a big wedding season right now. I always bring a koozie. Especially if it's outdoors, bring a koozie, and you should always double fist when you get there. Get two for yourself. Why are you uh, bringing a koozie? If it's outdoors, I want to keep it cold. Just it's put, hot this time of year. Just put the napkin behind it. No, it's a little white trashy, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> is it though? I mean, we're already. I'm already bring at your own koozie. I'm already at weddings where people are drinking tea lights. I mean, that ship has sailed. So. Yeah, is, these are northeast. Yeah, is this uh, is this wedding in Fox Chase? Well, look, if people are wearing ties and, and appropriate attire. You know, and they're not wearing like the Philly hat. Bring in you your know? koozie like it's a Philly's tailgate. You're just at a wedding. I go. Oh, Oh, Peggy, I also tip. I tip high to start at the night. Oh, I, I go twenty dollars at happy hour, yeah. and then I go twenty dollars after happy hour, and they'll yeah. always remember you. They're always yeah. happy. Tim, Tim went to Tim's wedding that he brought the koozie to. Was at like Cotman and Rising Sun? <laughs> it was at Real. <laughs> <laughs> now the only hack I can art, think of: Art History One Hundred and One outfitted the groomsman. Yep. <laughs> 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 that's pretty good that's oh pretty my good. god i think i know what the design looked like do you bring extra koozies for the other people in attendance or like oh tim i forgot my koozie today did you bring yours did you bring an extra uh i have a lot because I, I like shocker i mean when you know like oh like i was down in tampa years ago uh for like a race game and uh i was at ferg's i got a i got a koozie there I, you know, when I go to, I went to Chicago, Wrigley, I think I got a koozie there. I go out. If they're available, I collect them. I, have, I probably have like 20 or 30. That's See, I could definitely bring, I could bring extras. Did you grow up with parents that smoked? Were your parents in the Marlboro Rewards Program like mine were? No, my parents oh. didn't smoke. Wow. <laughs> But they have, but you're bringing koozies. You're bringing koozies to the fucking wedding. Uh, Philly, Philly fan says talk across the table to include everyone. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it's just a funny thing. Hack. Think well, there's always some shit. couple that get stuck at some table with nobody they fucking know, and so they're just kind of like you know, kind of yeah. struggling. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, I'm I'm pretty good at that. I, I can I can talk to a fucking wall, so I'm usually pretty good with that one. If but, you uh, tip the bartender on the first time you go up there, like that, sometimes they remember you and you get like a better pour. Well, yeah, I, that, that's what me and Tim were talking about. I'm a yeah. twenty. I'm a twenty at happy hour and yeah. a twenty after happy hour. So yeah. that like if I if there's like multiple bars, you hit the one, the one guy sees you and he points you out to the other guys. Yeah. And then sometimes the happy hour guy gets cut and then they go down to like one bar so that people don't know who you are yet. They don't mm-hmm. know how gracious of a person you are. So then you bring another twenty and you just you and you gotta you kinda gotta play the system. Like the old guys really appreciate it. The old women little usually appreciate it. The young guns sometimes the young bucks don't appreciate a, a good Jackson. I'll I'll say that. I'll say that. You asking the DJ to you asking the DJ to play Mo Bamba? No, I'm not asking the DJ. I'm not bothering the DJ. The the, the DJ has the list from the from the bridal party and they have their own stuff and the DJ I do not believe needs to be bothered unless the groom or the or the uh or the wife says something. What do how do you guys feel about DJ versus live band? What do you prefer? I've seen I've seen good live bands. I've seen bad live bands. I've seen good DJs. I've seen terrible DJs. I really don't have a preference. As long as you're just playing hits and people are dancing, that's fine by me. I've seen I've seen live bands. Live bands take more breaks than anybody. More than the servers. More than the bartenders. Anybody. Yeah. Live bands take so much breaks, and they're getting they're getting paid a good amount too. Well, the, I, got that- a, I got a live band, and the way they did it, they they played the whole time. So a couple people would take breaks. But then they'd have they'd be able to fill in, right? And they did it strategically, so music was all. Oh, should be done. I I went to a wedding where the live band would play three songs. Then they go out and smoke a cigarette in the back for like another like half an hour while somebody's playing like I don't know the Cotton Eye Joe. And I'm like, why pay for the live band? But then I've had also other live bands. What about you, Kevin? The best thing we did at our wedding was my wife and I curated the entire playlist for the entire night like cocktail hour dinner like all that we we picked every single song um i'd love to eat my salad to like slayer (laughs) well no my my wife was into like you know like uh (laughs) taking back sunday and newfound glory and stuff like that so we had like we had like newfound glory playing during like a dinner hour you know but someone here i guess came up i was like yeah this is cool as shit i usually hear like you know brown eyed girl or whatever the fuck you know like my problem with weddings is they play the same play the same thing over and over again you know it's like it's like predictable then you always get to that point like towards the very end of the wedding where all the sanitized songs go away and then they play like wop or something you know yeah. and and there's grandma's some, grandma's finally gone she's back yeah. at the hotel let's like, go oh, I, or, or somebody goes up there like oh i love this song and i'm like do you really um and they don't they don't know what it is you know they mr. don't know. bright i mean mr Brightside is becoming like uh sweet caroline no stop generation. it can we just like play like Spaceman or For Reasons Unknown or Jenny was a friend of mine or I don't know. They, well, have they, just, they just it's but if you leave it up to the DJ, like you're gonna get the same stuff over and over again. I, I know DJs don't like necessarily to be told what to play, but like we gave our guy like a list of like 40 songs and he played like 38 of them, and then he played like 12 of things that he wanted to play. Mm-hmm. He was fine with it. He was getting paid just the same. But we had it was funny because at our wedding we were staying at uh or it was at the uh the hotel on Penn's Landing and the Temple football team was staying there for some reason. I don't know why, but we had a bunch of like old school hip hop in the in the playlist, and we had like ODB and Nas and st- stuff like that. So the t- Temple guys like were were just hanging outside of in the hallway listening to the music from from our our wedding, which was which was pretty cool, you know. But we, yeah, we picked the entire 
thing because we didn't want there to be any breaks. I mean, you get something going up on the dance floor, and then you have like one shitty like Van Morrison tune or something. Everybody goes and sits down, you know. Yeah, so. I'm a big like no slow songs at the wedding. I don't. I mean, maybe yeah. one. Maybe, yeah, maybe we didn't when, when they yeah. first do the dances and then people come on, you know, like when yeah. like you're uh, dancing with your with the groom's dance with the mom or or whatever, and then everyone you know swarms the dance floor and we start that blah blah. blah. And then I don't think they yeah. need to play a slow song for the rest of the night. I think you're there to have fun. I think oh. you're there to dance. It's not a fucking CYO dance. <laughs> we don't need any slow songs. Where are we at on shout? Has shout peaked? <laughs> I think so. I think so. My mom, I think, requested the same song twice at my wedding. Uh, she may be listening to this and she may be able to confirm, but I think she requested Bruno Mars twice. Um, Grenade? No, the what was the one that was like went, went everywhere? Uh, Uptown I Funk. I think oh, she Uptown did. Funk. Yeah. Yeah, we can retire that. We can, we can, play we can retire uh, Fly Like a G6. <laughs> we can retire probably yeah. every Black IP song. Um, well, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we can retire. YMCA, I would think, yeah, I would say that peaked. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be on the, uh, I'm going to say Mamba number five has peaked. Mamba uh, number Shout, five by, by Lou Mega. <laughs> Shout will forever be one of my favorites. How yeah. about instead of Mamba number five, we we get Living La Vida Loca back in the mix. <laughs> huh? Remember that, that was big around then, right? Mambo number six, you can put that. Yeah, there. what about Mambo number six? Whatever happened to that? Did he retire? Yeah. yeah, what's wrong with the other ones? Yeah. Our final song was uh Knocking on Heaven's Door. Knocking Guns and Roses. Knocking on Heaven's Door. It's like kind of like oh. a slow dance, but not really really. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like in between there. Mm. And um, I'm trying to think like Kevin's way, like juxtaposition of Bruno Mars going right into like uh yeah, crazy train. Like I feel like the, the playlist just went up. I think we had a stretch of like five songs in a row where it went from like DMX to like Old Dirty Bastard. To, to like, uh, Kevin's playlist was like riding Steel Force. It was just oh. it was all over the place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had a nice mix of stuff. The song that we danced to was like an '80s hair metal uh, song. So that was, uh, but that's a that's a Sarah one. She wanted a power ballad. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. Any other wedding hacks? Any other wedding hacks? in the comments any other wedding hacks <laughs> the mockery <laughs> the electric slide man i can't believe anybody said the electric slide like that shit is cupid shuffle cupid shuffles where it's at in my opinion i think the cupid shuffle has taken over this is um, the marcus canby gif where he's where yeah machine what did you uh what was your what did you guys dance to what was your first dance song curiosity uh, it was by firehouse um it's called love of a lifetime it's a power ballad it's an 80s like hair metal ballad <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it slaps as the kids nice. say. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, right. love well, it. Enjoy Temple your weekends. Loved it too. Enjoy your weekends, commenters. Yeah. Enjoy your weekends. Thank you to everybody for tuning in today. Thanks to Tim for coming on. Kev, Craig on the ones and twos. Yeah. We'll talk to you.